Hello world, this is Better Tech, a podcast where we chat with some of the most successful leaders about the latest industry developments. So join us as we explore the world reliant on tech. Hello everyone, my name is Manu Rabit and I'm the Global Communications Manager for Better Tech. We welcome you once again at Better Tech, Better AI category podcast. And today we have Miss Sonal with us. So Sonal, why don't you start with telling us about your early years and, you know, how was it for you? Yeah, happy to dive into my background here. And uh, thanks also for having me. Excited to be here. Um, so I started my career in buy-side M&A at a Fortune 500 group. Before that, did my uh, did my undergrad in mechanical engineering. Um, and so started my career in buy-side M&A, looking at, um, you know, just multi-billion dollar acquisitions. Um, across the globe um, when it comes to like really traditional businesses like cement and insurance and things like that. Um, Move from there to um, working in business development at a large cardiac provider in India. And that's where my interest in the early stage ecosystem really peaked because um, the hospital had really great cadre of doctors, uh, but there was naturally that issue with access to scale. So we had 50% or over 50% of the patients coming in from outside of the city and I think roughly 10, 20% coming in from outside of the country. Um, so that got me thinking and looking into the remote patient monitoring market back then. Um, and then I decided to come to the US for my MBA in healthcare and finance from Wharton, where I thought that, you know, give me a good opportunity to get immersed in some of the new technologies and innovations that are happening here. Um, once I come to the US, I come across uh, the space of VC, which I knew existed before, but it was more of a distant thought for me, didn't really consider it as a viable career path, but um, learn about it. And as I learned more about it, um, I you know, decided that that's something that I wanted to do after graduation. Um, so that's how I got into venture investing um, after I graduated and started working with um, Amit and Sanjay, who founded Tao Ventures uh, back in 2019. That does sound great. Um, can you tell us about how you, you know, about your journey from buy-side M&A to becoming a principal at Tao Ventures, focusing on early stage AI startups in healthcare enterprise and, um, you know, uh, automation? Yeah, so, yeah, so, um, you know, there's there's some parts of it that I've mentioned, which is, uh, I think the interest comes really from the healthcare side of things. I grew up in a family of doctors and um, was really looking for a way to solve some of the issues that we face in society. And, um, you know, naturally, when our manpower, when our workforce is limited, um, technology comes as a, as an enabler to help just improve um, reach and improve access. Um, so that's where that interest kind of uh, got peaked. But what's interesting is, you know, early in my career, I didn't think of going into VC. And uh, there were certain areas that we got involved in on the strategy side, which was, you know, looking at big data back in 2014, when it was one of the biggest buzzwords back then. Um, and also looking at how can we modernize a lot of the really, um, I guess, traditional businesses that um, that the group had and how we modernize it using startups and using technology and data analytics and things like that. Um, and so it's interesting how that's kind of come full circle. Um, that's where the enterprise investing lens comes from, where I get excited is there's all of these traditional businesses that generally don't have too much of young blood. And um, that's where you see pure innovations coming out of but they're very much needed uh, because you know those are multi-billion dollar categories 
Mm, that was rather insightful. Um, you know, I've seen, I was going through your profile before, like, you know, we started um, the recent background issue when we have a guest. So what I saw was that your background is quite diverse with experience in business development at a heart hospital to later as a chief of staff at a metabolic health startup. How did these experiences, you know, shape your interest in metabolic health and wellness? Could you like talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would start off with, you know, saying again, like my my dad's a doctor um, and at home, like we grew up in a very healthy environment. So um, there's that aspect of just general interest in health and wellness to begin with. Um, and when I came to Tao, um, worked with Amit and Sanjay here for a bit, um, came across uh, a TED talk at one point, which basically talked about how glycemic indices are not universal. And what that means is if one person eats ice cream and that's going to spike their blood glucose, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen for another person, which means that one person can theoretically gain weight from uh, gain fat from eating ice cream, whereas the other person is fine. Um, and, you know, I, I did my undergrad mechanical engineering. I kind of geek out on a lot of these kind of science, uh, scientific topics and, you know, these kind of research findings that come to light. And at that point of time, the TED Talk was five years old, so it's not even like it was recent. Um, but it just coincidentally happened that I was looking at it. I was like, okay, this is really great. That should be a company that brings us to market. Um, and a couple of weeks later, we come across Cygnus, which is um, a company in the metabolic health space. Um, was really excited, was looking to work at an early stage startup at that point of time. And so um, the stars kind of aligned and uh, joined the company as chief of staff. And, um, you know, what's really exciting for me is understanding, you know, understanding how your body works. Um, I would say the second aspect that kind of increased my interest in that space was I, you know, came across a health issue of my own um, a, a few years before that. And so I think after that, it was kind of a wake up call to actually, you know, start living healthy. And um, with Cygnos, what I thought was really interesting is you can see your blood glucose as it moves real time. Um, and so it's not like, you know, you eat for a day or for a week, and then you see the weight loss later, but you can see the theoretical impact of what you're eating, or rather the actual impact of what you're eating right now on your blood glucose, um, and extrapolate from that whether, you know, that can lead to fat gain or not. Um, so I think it was, uh, it was a really exciting time for me as, you know, as employees, like we all had access to the devices. Um, and it was just fascinating for me to see that, um, you know, if I eat, for instance, fries, like I'm, I'm an anomaly on the team. Like if I eat fries, like that doesn't spike my blood glucose. But if I eat red lentils, like it'll take my glucose up to like 240 and keep it there for two, three hours. Um, so it's just interesting to note that, you know, it, it's not a way to classify foods as healthy or unhealthy, but rather mm -hmm. a way to understand, okay, for your body type, like what should you be doing um, that works for you doesn't necessarily work for someone else. Definitely. That is how, you know, it is tricky to figure out what to eat, what not to, and how does uh, that affect you? But like, so in your opinion, what are the key challenges that individuals face when it comes to building healthy habits? And um, how can technology play a role in addressing these challenges to say? Yeah, um, I think it's a really good question, right? Like everyone wants, um, everyone wants to see results. I think the biggest challenge yep. is change. 
because um, changing your habits, changing your lifestyle is hard and hand in hand is knowing where to start because sometimes when people, you know, want to say that they want to start losing weight, it's like, okay, you need to exercise. You need to like control these aspects of your diet. It's, it's just too much at once. Um, so just addressing that one part of it, um, what I think a lot of apps do really well is they kind of break down the information into bite-sized pieces so that people are exposed to say just the 80% of the 80-20 rule. So just the 80% to begin with. And then after that, once they've mastered that, they can start looking at other areas. So um, you know, knowing where to begin is um is one of the biggest things there. Um, and then the other I would say is just in terms of um desire for quick wins and also like staying motivated throughout the process. Um, you know, there is this new category of um, diabetic drugs, which are being used as weight loss medication. Um, and the reason for that is because they just result in like really quick wins. Um, you know, you just take the pill and you can go about your habits as you were. And, you know, it helps with weightless, uh, weight loss um, just by reducing your hunger. Right. So it's like from your perspective, all you the action that you take is take a pill. Um, that's so much more desirable than okay going to the gym uh for like 30 to 60 minutes a day for a week um yeah you know, especially for people like us who do not have time to do anything <laughs> and you know are working yeah. around the clock i think that does seem like a, in a solution that you know appeals the masses to say yeah going so yeah so i would say like getting motivated there is really important and uh that's what apps right. can do there's an aspect of it that um, you know, there is the gamification aspect of it. So again, just going back to Cygnus as an example, um, when you eat something, the glucose uh, in your body can move and the graph shows that. Um, yeah. And, you know, the app can give a prompt that says that, oh, hey, you know, like you may yeah, want actually. to consider doing this, um, which will help you. Um, and, you know, it's the the whole concept is doing the right amount of exercise for the right amount of time at the right time is more effective than doing twice as much at the wrong time. Um, and so when you see your graph moving and one of the most, um, I think, powerful things is just even taking a walk after eating a meal, um, you can see any spikes start to drop after that. And like, that's the whole gamified aspect of it, right? Like, how do you keep your glucose in range? And what's interesting about that is the science has actually been known for like at least more than a decade that um, exercise after a meal can help diabetics control their glucose. Of course, the study was more so on diabetics because that's a population that really needed the uh, results of the study. Um, but the point is that it helps anyone. Um, and, you know, when I was on the device, like I would um, go for like 15, even 15, 20 minute walks, like after a meal. Um, now that I'm not using the device, like it's not like I need to lose weight, but at the same time, like I have the knowledge but mm -hmm. not seeing the graph doesn't prompt me or doesn't motivate me or doesn't, you know, influence me as much uh, to keep up with the walks. That was like rather a very insightful answer to the question. But like uh, you mentioned an app. So could you highlight some of the most promising AI based applications that you've come across in the healthcare space, something that you would recommend to our listeners? Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to recommend anything because, again, like you know, you I'm not a doctor, I'm not an expert here. Yeah, definitely. But like, if you yeah. would, like came across something that was that you that according to you was you know something that could um, that stood out for you, yeah, if you could like talk about that. 
Yeah, um, I think there are a couple here. Uh, again, I'm, you know, I'm biased here. Um, I would say Cygnus if you need to lose weight, because I think the tool is so powerful that you realize what works for your body. And, you know, there are habits that you can take out of it um, even after you've stopped using the app. So um, that's one I would say is very insightful. Um, I haven't used too many others, but other um, AI-based health and wellness apps that I can think of uh, for different populations. So there's one that we're looking at, which is gut health uh, for infants. And um, what's really cool about that is there's a lot of chronic conditions and metabolic issues that arise from the time of birth that, um, you know, 10, 20 years people were not familiar with. Um, part of the reason is the rise on C-sections, um, increased use of antibiotics and things like that, that really affect the gut flora and the gut bacteria. Um, and so there's a company in the space that um, it, that's called Tiny Health um, that's building in the space where um, they help sample the gut, uh, the or rather, yeah, the gut bacteria of infants. Um, they're able to determine, okay, what are the what's the composition of the bacteria like? And you know, a lot of companies do this, a lot of companies for adults, but you know, what's the insight? What's the takeaway from that? Um, what I think is really cool about this company is they've mapped that with different products in the market, um, as well as different scientific literature and their own proprietary data set to say that, okay, these are some of the conditions that either your child is suffering from now or has this much X probability of suffering from in the future. Um, or, you know, even if this is something that uh, is an issue right now, these are some of the steps that you can take. So it doesn't necessarily push any products. It just, you know, gives that information to the end user that if you want to improve um, the, um, you know, if you want to improve your child's health and specifically in these areas, uh, these are some of the things that you can start doing. Um, so I think that's really cool because a lot of issues in health do arise from early childhood. Um, and right, so if you can correct for that at that point of time, then it solves a lot of issues down the line. Mm -hmm. So like uh, that brings me to my next question. And that is, um, you know, so what are some of the innovative ways startups are basically leveraging technology to tackle metabolic health issues? And how do these approaches differ from the traditional healthcare solutions that we previously had? Yeah, um, that's a really good question, right? I mean, there's there's a whole number of startups kind of coming for this reason that they're plugging in the gaps that traditional health has historically not been able to solve. And one of the biggest reasons for that is, you know, population health is a very generic approach to health. Um, and so there are a few doctors that actually, you know, do like full panel tests and tell you, okay, what, what you need to do based on that. There are a few nutritionists who actually look at your cortisol curve and based on that, I'm not even nutritionists, but like dietitians, nutritionists, um, workout coaches that actually look at your cortisol curve and use that information to tell you, okay, at this time of the day, like don't do a heavy workout, maybe do yoga. Or, you know, if you want to do that workout, then do it later on in the day when your cortisol is at a lower level. So um, most of the approaches in traditional medicine have been, um, you know, just a uh, uh, one-size-fits-all solution. And so a lot of the startups that are coming up now are in the space of precision health, where they look at your individual markers and your individual um, levels. And based on that information, they do make their prescriptions or not prescriptions, but suggestions. Um, so that's one aspect of it. And then the other aspect is, of course, you know, the, the typical challenge of scale that with traditional healthcare, um, you know, doctors are limited by the number of people they can see. Um, doctors are also more burned out now than they've ever been before. And with apps, what's great is that 
um, they are uh, with, with an app, you can, you know, reach a much wider population base, a much wider audience, and yet exactly. be able to deliver that level of precision care. Mm. Um, so in your experience, now that you like you've worked with the early stage startups and whatnot, right? So in your experience working with early stage AI startups, what are some of the common misconceptions or challenges that they face while, you know, they're entering the healthcare industry? Could you like highlight yeah. those? Um, I can speak to challenges. Uh, I'm not sure what misconceptions that might be fairly startup specific, uh, but with challenges, you know, the biggest one is being able to find, um, you know, find out who's going to pay, right? Because depending on the price point, if it's a low enough price point, it becomes accessible enough for most of the U.S. population. But a lot of these companies, especially in the metabolic health space, because of the R&D that goes into it or because of the cost of the device that's associated with it, is a little bit out of reach of, um, you know, the general population. And so the challenge here is, okay, you know, you can reach, say, the affluent population, like the 10, 20 percent. And um, that's a decent enough market. But if you, you know, want to grow to a billionaire, uh, sorry, to a billion dollar unicorn company, then uh, you need to be able to really serve the larger population. And so, um, you know, to get that scale, going direct to consumer may not necessarily be the only approach or, you know, the main approach that works. Um, and so selling through providers, selling through health systems, selling through payers, um, that becomes a challenge. And I think the the interesting part is, you know, like everyone knows that these systems move slowly and so they have really long health, really long sales cycles. The challenge comes to the point where you're building something, you see the results, you see that it's helping people. Um, and then, of course, you get excited by the potential of it. Um, and so, you know, at that point, when you go and speak to providers, um, a lot of them, depending on the space that you're building for, will ask for clinical results. And so, Developing those clinical results takes time um, and it takes an FDA regulatory strategy um, if you want to go through the payer route. And so all of that just takes time, right? So I think one of the bigger challenges here is proving out the value proposition of what you're building, being able to generate revenue while you have this B2B or B2B2C approach. Um, so, you know, like the world is moving towards AI and we see that there is a rapid transformation. So how do you envision AI transforming the healthcare industry in the next five to 10 years? And what specific areas, if you could highlight for us, do you believe will experience the most significant impact of uh, AI? Yeah, um, I think, you know, with AI, and we're speaking AI broadly here, uh, and not thankfully talking about Gen AI, because that's been the topic du jour of late. Um, so with AI, um, you know, we've been AI investors since we started in 2019. That's been our fund's thesis since then. Um, and we've actually had like really good headwinds because of COVID since then and, you know, really great results in, uh, with our startups as well. So three areas that we focus on that we see a lot of potential is one in oncology. So helping with improving diagnosis of uh, diseases. So one of the uh, one of our companies that we invested in increases the accuracy of diagnosis of a cancerous polyps during a colonoscopy uh, okay. from about 85% to 99%. Uh, so that's a huge change. Um, we've seen companies in the market that improve the sensitivity and specificity of even mammograms to like 75, 80%, whereas right now they're like 20, 30. They're, you know, like actually getting mammograms or getting more than you need is, um, is not good for your health, right? Um, so... In oncology, that's one of the spaces. Um, the other application in oncology, I would say, would be precision treatment again. 
Um, and then moving on from oncology, um, another bucket that we look at is anything that reduces the paperwork, reduces the administrative burden of healthcare, because the, the amount of savings that can result in is in the trillions of dollars. So that's a huge space. Um, and so some of the areas here are with, you know, improving uh, the claims process, um, reducing prior auth times, um, helping with, say, financing for infusion drugs, things like that. Um, mm. So those are some of the uh, some of the companies we've looked at and some of the investments we've made. And, um, you know, speaking even from a Gen AI perspective, um, with Gen AI, what's tricky is it's not going to replace doctors anytime soon because, you know, at the end of the day, the doctors are the ones who provide care, who need to sign off on a patient's, um, right, a patient's um, yeah, just prescription. And um, also at the end of the day, like, who are you going to hold accountable? Like, uh, you can hold a doctor accountable. Um, you know, what are you going to do if chat GPT or any application based on that exactly. um, is an incredible yeah. So uh, we see Gen AI kind of coming into the play here in terms of reducing uh, or improving administrative efficiencies. Um, another recent example we made is where a company is targeting um, clinics and smaller practices, um, or actually even larger ones, where they have a Gen AI um, voice agent that can hold like 30 minute conversations with a person, uh, with a patient. And, yeah. uh, you know, you don't realize that you're talking to an AI at the end of the day, but it helps with patient intake, um, with collecting all of the information that, you know, someone on the back end would normally do um, with getting information about insurance, trying to, you know, answer questions about that also. Um, and so it just frees up a lot of time um, for these organizations to focus on, you know, the actual delivery of care, which I think is really great. Um, and then the third area I would say is metabolic health, where chronic conditions, um, metabolic health and wellness, uh, mental health, um, they all come into this area. Uh -huh. So, you know, with that, we've almost uh, hit our 30 minute mark, but I'll throw the last question and then we'll have your closing remarks. Um, so with AI's capabilities evolving rapidly, what are the future research and development areas in healthcare AI that, you know, excite you the most? If you could highlight those for us and then we'll take your closing remarks. Yeah, um, I would say one of the areas that excites me is an area that we don't invest in, which is the hardware side of things, um, because a lot of companies that we invest in our platform plays. And so, you know, there are software companies. Um, yeah. They aren't necessarily affected by the hardware that's going on because there's a lot of R&D that goes into it. It's right. a capital intensive model. Um, and so, you know, the there's, there's a, um, a report that's been written and that gets updated almost every year. Um, you know, it's, uh, and I, I'm trying to remember the name, but it's basically like the hunt for, uh, the invisible turkey or the elusive turkey, uh, which is non-invasive glucose monitoring, because right now pretty much all glucose monitoring devices have a small needle that goes into the body and not everyone likes that or is fond of it. And so how can you make it non-invasive? Um, and so, you know, if you can do that, then it can also just be incorporated into an Apple watch, right? So that's like the high level thinking. Um, so that's one area in R&D that I'm excited about, just personal wearable devices like this, which are non-invasive, which can give so much more of an insight into your body. Um, the other area I would say is just in terms of, um, in terms of helping with planning medical surgeries. Uh, there are a few companies that are working in the space already where doctors can plan the surgery before actually getting into the operating room and, you know, do a postmortem of the surgery after. Um, so I think helping with that um, can help 
or rather planning out those situations can help with improving just the um, operate the operational and success rates for surgeries. Um, so with that, we've come to the end of our podcast. Would you like to give any closing remarks? Yeah, I mean, I would uh, just like to say that, you know, this is an exciting time to be in. Um, I think the benefit of Gen AI is that it's brought AI to the mainstream. And so a lot of organizations and even health systems are looking to implement AI solutions because they know that it's going to come in the future. And so how can they get ahead of it right now? Um, So I think for that reason, it's just um, an exciting time to be a founder in AI and also just to be an investor in AI. Well, thank you so much, Sonal, for joining us today. I'm sure our listeners had a uh, had a lot of you know insightful answers from you. Thank you so much, and we'd love to have you again. I hope you Thanks have a nice. Thank Thanks. You. Really happy to be here. We look forward to bringing you the latest industry news in our next episode. In the meantime. Check out our other episodes at techcell.com slash podcast and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss an episode.